0: So the question we've been asking for the past six weeks is this, can we really change? Okay, we talk about new life, we have to talk about new life. Frankly, that is the basis of our Christian faith and and has been the basis of Christianity, a foundational truth of Christianity for 2,000 years. But is it true? Can we really change? What about practically? We can change when we come to church, but what about Monday through Friday? What about when we get into real life situations? Somebody wrote me this week, they were going to be meeting with me and they, they, they didn't make the meeting and they said to me, they emailed me later, apologized and said, life just happened. <laughs> How many know life does just happen, doesn't it? <clears throat> so can we really change and be different when life just happens? <clears throat> I believe the answer has been a resounding Yes. So we've talked a little bit about how that occurs and, and when that occurs, what it looks like, and, and, and how we display that and how it is so noticeable to other people. So my oldest grandson, Gage, uh, turns 16 uh, a couple of months back now, and um, he's a really busy guy. He's a three-sport athlete at his, at his high school, so he's very busy. And uh, he called me the other night, and he said, hey, G-Daddy, that's what he calls me. Hey, G-Daddy, I got a job. And i was turning flips right i'm like yes yes that's a good thing right got a job and then i got to think about it i said okay buddy when i saw him last i said how's this job gonna work out i said you don't have many hours in the day he said oh i, I got plenty of hours he says i have to, i don't have to leave school till 7 i mean that's pretty early i said you, so what time do you get up 7 20. i mean you know it doesn't take long and He's at school, and he says, he goes to school, and he gets out of school, and he goes straight to baseball practice right now. And he practices baseball. He said, we get off at 4.30, and so I don't have, have to work until five, 5, so then I work from 5 to 10. And I come home, and, you know, I, I got plenty of time. And I said, well, let me ask you, before I could even ask the question, he interrupted He said, oh, no, no, I know what you're going to ask. Don't worry. He let me off on game day. <laughs> That's not what I was going to ask. What I was going to ask is, When are you going to study? Remember, you are a student, right? And you have to keep your grades up. So when are you going to study? And his reply was, "Ah, I can take care of that. My grades are good. I was reminded again that sometimes the most important things in life we tend to put on the shelf, right? I mean, the most important things in life are often replaced by the things that are exciting or new or interesting Or fun and I was reminded again that we got to be careful that we keep our priorities right in life well I mentioned that because I think in this changed life of ours this new life we have in Christ if we're not careful the most important things can become last in our lives in fact I really want to share this thought with you today that the most important things may be the last to change so when you think about life change when you think about a new life in Christ understand that sometimes the most important things may be the last to change why I don't know maybe it's because they're harder maybe because they're more real Maybe it's because it's, it's, it's not as much fun necessarily as we think of fun. Maybe it's because it's not as exciting. I don't know what it is to you, but sometimes the most important things may be the last to change. So today we're going to close out the book of Colossians. And as he begins to close out the letter, Paul talks about some important things. And the things he talks about are frankly the things that may be the hardest to change. And he's going to talk about this. He's going to talk about our speech. <laughs> Why is it that our tongue is so hard to control, right? But now, hold on. He's not going to really talk today about, uh, about you know, whether we stop our cursing or, or, or stop this, that, or yet. No, 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 no. He, he's going to a different angle. He's going to talk about how a changed person, this is so cool, following. He's going to talk about how a changed person talks to God and how he talks to people. And we're going to see that Paul encourages us to have a conversation regularly that is horizontal and vertical. Vertically in that we talk to God, learn to talk to God, and horizontally that we learn to talk to people. And in fact, to be more specific, what he's going to talk about today, what we're going to see in Colossians 4 is he talks to us about how important it is for us to talk to God about people and for us to talk to people about God. One is not more important than the other. They're both vitally important in Paul's breakdown. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Colossians one more time. And uh, in the fourth chapter, we're going to read this morning, beginning in verse number 2. Remember, we looked at chapter 4, or verse number 1, I should say, in chapter 4 last week. So we start with verse 2, and we're going to read through verse 6, and that's going to be our focus for this morning. Now, let me say this. I feel terrible because I'm leaving you as a cliffhanger here. This is the last message in Colossians, but we're not going to finish. And for those of you who are OCD and say, we just must finish. Well, then you need to go to the website, check out our more page, because in more... This week, we finished it out, all right? So I finished out the book, and you can hear about that if you want to check to more. And that, actually, there's some pretty good stuff there. But we're going to pick up reading with verse number 2. Now, before I read, let me remind you. Maybe it's your first time here with us. Welcome. We're so glad you came to be with us, and let me just share with you where we've been. Or, or maybe it's just a good reminder, right? We've seen that Paul has told us that we have new life available to us in Christ. And why is new life possible? Because grace is available. We saw that right away in chapter 1. We saw that Paul said how we have heard the gospel, and when we heard, you believed, and when you believed, your life began to change. And that's where new life begins. New life or or change begins. Change believe begins with new life in Christ. When we hear the gospel, we respond to the gospel, and we follow the gospel. Watch this, our lives begin to change and then we talked about substitutes remember how important it is not to rely on substitutes. sometimes I think we look at cheap and worthless substitutes to somehow supplement or take the place of change and we wonder why we haven't changed and we can't change and I think it's because we have substituted things into our lives for example some of us think if we just come to church our lives are going to change now, I know I'm a pastor and I know I should be careful how I say this but that's just not true It's just not true, okay? I I like to tell people this. Coming and sitting in church is not going to make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage is going to make you a car, right? Right? There's more to it than that. We have to go a little bit further. And so we talked about that. And we talked about how this change takes place with this new life. We have a new position in Christ. Remember, we've been buried with him in baptism. We're risen to walk in newness of life. Paul says we put off the old and we put on the new. We have this new passion. The old things don't matter to us as much anymore. And and our desire is for the newer things in Christ. And we have this new purpose because everything we do, verse chapter 3, is for the glory and the honor and the praise of God everything no matter who we are or what we do it doesn't matter if we're pushing dirt with a with a tractor it doesn't matter if we're sitting in an office it doesn't matter if we're teaching children whatever it is God has called you to it has a new purpose as a follower of Christ because I'm doing it for the glory of God even if that means sweeping a floor I'm sweeping the floor for the glory of God that will make a difference in your life we have this new purpose and then we have a new perspective remember we saw last week how we see things differently even people and people are the hardest things to see different. Can I get an amen? amen? I told somebody this week, this job would be easy if it weren't for people, right? I mean, it's tough. People, but we have to have this new perspective. And we gain this new perspective in Christ. And we saw that. And then we saw that last week when we change. The most evident place that we see change. By the way, the change is noticeable. Now, I want to throw that in there because listen to me carefully. If you're wondering whether or not there's been any change in your life... It probably hasn't been. Because this change that comes through new life in Christ is noticeable. And where do we notice it first? Two places we mentioned. First, at home. First place you're going to notice it is at home. Right? Because here's the deal. When you're at home, you're probably real. When you come to church, you put on a mask. When you go to work, you put on a certain mask. When you go out with the boys or the girls, you put on a certain mask. But when you're at home, this is why it sometimes explodes. You're just yourself. That's the first place. People. You can see change. The second place is at work. Remember Paul talking about those at work? He used the servants and slaves to teach us some lessons. And he said, the place that my faith is noticeable is at work. Or for you students, we could say at school. Because, I mean, I go to work every day. If you're a, if you're a student, your social area, your, your engagement, your job, really, if you will, is that school. And so that, I'm going to just liken it to that and say you students, where it's noticeable is at school. Your friends will see a difference. They'll know a difference with real change. And then finally today we see it's noticeable with the way we speak. The way we speak, and maybe importantly, to whom we speak. All right? Now, that catches us up. We're in verse 2, chapter 4. Let's begin reading. He gives us some imperatives here. He says, here's how we need to start. He says, verse 2, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving Now, stop there just a moment Devote yourselves to prayer Now, first of all, I don't want to assume you know what prayer is I I, I almost want to assume that because we talk a lot about prayer You know what? Most sports teams will say the Lord's Prayer and then go try to kill each other I never have figured that one out Right? Right? Or my coach, I remember when I was in high school playing ball, and my coach would swear up and down one side or the other, just chew me out using the most choice words, and he'd say, okay, before we go, let's pray. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that, frankly. So, but let me just make sure you know what it means to pray. Prayer is really as simply as talking with God, right? It's not, it doesn't mean we have to have some kind of a certain place, although you need to have a certain place to pray at times. It doesn't mean we use necessarily a different language, although that may occur at times. It doesn't mean that we have to have, you know, uh, 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 the King's English now. And I remember when I prayed, everybody read from the King James Version. Or when I went to church, I said when I was a child, everybody read from the King James Version. Now, I love the King James Version, but I never learned how to pray the King James Version. You know what I mean? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm like, what is thy and what is thou and hither and thither? I don't talk like that. And then I discovered the people pray King James prayers in church and when life happens you abandon all of that and just say God help me right all of a sudden it's just but now watch this prayer includes an awareness of God it's not just thinking there's a difference I think sometimes we miss the difference between thinking and praying I've been praying about you No, you've been thinking about me there's a difference Think praying is when there's an awareness of God awareness of God's presence now that can happen anywhere it can happen on my back porch you know when I realized that I realized that this week when I was uh, addressing our, our leadership in our refuel meeting we call it <clears throat> which is a bunch of leaders who come together and as I was talking about it I was, sitting, I was on my back porch I said and I was, I, was, I was praying and I said no I was thinking and I said no no I was praying letting, praying can happen anywhere on your back porch or in a tree stand. I mean, honestly, pray, prayer can happen on the, in a car on the way to work. Prayer can happen right there on that seat just a few moments ago. Or it can happen in a designated place. It can happen in a closet, in a room. Prayer is an awareness of God and a conversation with God wherein I talk to God and He talks to me. By the way, don't you know that to have a real conversation, you need both ways? So if your prayer time is just talking to God, hang on. He might want to get something in every now and then. Maybe you need to just catch your breath, wait a minute, and let God begin to speak to you. But Paul says, devote yourselves to prayers. Now, we know what it means to devote ourselves to something, right? That's pretty simple. But I wonder how many of us are devoted to prayer. Now, we understand devotion. We understand, for example, we are devoted to certain things in life. I know people, for instance, who are devoted to ball, right? Now, I'm not trying to touch anybody's toes. I'm just, you know, a day off for us with our family means a day at the ball fields craziest thing in the world i mean there's just ball game after ball game and i'm watching these myriads of people who are coming to the ball game and yesterday when my when my one of my grandsons finished playing ball this is this is kind of little league rec ball and and as he's playing ball they're talking about this tournament that they're going to be in right and and they're going to be in this tournament that's going to come up in a few weekends and guess what he said now first of all we need you to be here well, duh, if you're going to play ball, you need a team to be there. Secondly, it's going to cost you, because it's going to cost you $8 to get in, and we've got to pay an entry fee, and we've got to pay for uh, separate games and umpires. And da, 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 da. It's going to cost about 150 bucks, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, now, if I said all that at church, they'd run me out. <laughs> uh, am I right? Well, now we're going to have church next Sunday. First of all, y'all need to show up. Secondly, we got to have lights, we got to have AC, so it's going to cost you 150 bucks. You'd be like, what are you doing talking about that? No, no, we're devoted to ball. No problem, coach. We'll get it. No problem. We're devoted to hobbies. We know what it means to be devoted to a marriage. I'm not saying being devoted is a bad thing, it's a good thing. But here's my question, and this is kind of piercing, and man, it rips at my heart. How many of us are devoted to prayer? Hmm. There's not a lot said about the early church, but one thing that is said about the early church is that they were devoted to prayer. In Acts chapter 1, listen, in verse 14, it says this. They were all, that is the early church, they were all continually united in prayer. The word there, continually united, in our English is different, but in the Greek it's the same word, devoted, as is used in Colossians. That's interesting. They were devoted. And then in Acts chapter uh, chapter 2, it says this. Listen to this. It says in verse 42 they devoted themselves, talking about the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and to prayer. And yet, as time rolled along, something happened in the church. They began with this devotion to prayer. But eventually, over time, Paul had to say to them, hey, guys, remember, devote yourselves to prayer. Have you ever noticed this? In the Gospels, when Jesus is talking to his followers, he assumed they would pray. Have you noticed that? He, when he talks about prayer, he always says, when you pray. He didn't say, if you pray, Right? He said when you pray He assumed they would pray In the gospels you see an assumption of prayer But by the time you get to the epistles The letters to the churches You see a command to pray A reminder to pray so something happened along the way from the early days when they were following Christ, when they had a chance to ask him anything they wanted. Do you remember what was the one thing they wanted him to teach them? Remember what was the one thing the disciples asked him to teach them? They could have asked him to teach them anything. Lord, teach me how to preach better. No, they didn't ask him that. Lord, Lord, teach us how to walk on water like you did. No, they didn't ask him that. Teach us how to divide that bread and feed 5,000. No, you know what they asked him? Lord, teach us to pray. There was an assumption about prayer, but something happened, and along the way, the church needed to be reminded to devote themselves to prayer. And now, 2,000 years later, we've reduced prayer to something we say at a meal, and then only if it's in private, surely not in public. You know, it's hard, isn't it, to teach those things. Devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says, when we devote to prayer, a couple of things happen. Secondly, look at the next part. Flip that screen, ready. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert. Prayer, when we devote ourselves to prayer, that is, talking to God, when we devote ourselves to prayer, there brings an awareness and alertness to our lives. Can I remind you again, of a, and I hate to skip all around, especially you may be new here and maybe you're new to the Bible, you just have to trust me on some of this. You can go back and check it later. But when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that? The Garden of Gethsemane. It's a beautiful place, by the way. Within a year, I'll get to be there again, and I love to pray in that garden where Jesus prayed. And the Scripture says that on that night before he was arrested to be crucified, he brought his disciples there to the garden, and he said, Sit here. I'm going to go a little further. He said, but you stay here. And what do you tell him to do? Watch and pray. And then he said this: pray so that you don't enter into temptation. In one of the gospels, it actually says, be alert and pray. You know what he's really saying? Stay awake. I understand that. I mean, I'm, I've done it. I'm, I'm guilty. I've laid down, you know, to pray and fell asleep. You know I don't think God just looks down and says I'm going to send fire on you I think maybe at least he's pleased I'm sleeping in an awareness of his presence But he says stay alert There's an alertness, awakeness that comes to prayer And often we fall into temptation I'm convinced because we fail to pray And sometimes, uh, literally, sin overtakes us. The the enemy comes upon us. We weaken because we fail. We make mistakes because we fail to pray. There's there's an alertness. Stay alert. When we pray, we pray with an an aware heart, an an alert mind. And second, and by the way, just as a practical step, best thing to do, I'm still stuck on the sleep thing, and maybe it's because I'm kind of ashamed. I told you I fall asleep every now and then. So here's what I do: I try to find a time when I'm alert to pray. Right? So I pray better in the morning, and that's that's because I'm a morning person. Some of you aren't. I understand that. Some of you can pray better at two a.m. Whatever. Be alert. And then he says, "Watch this. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving." Prayer brings a grateful attitude to our hearts. I'm telling you, there's something about praying. There, you know, here, I don't even understand what I'm about to tell you. And some of you, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're not going to understand this at all. Because I don't even understand it. And I've been a follower of Christ for a long time. But I just know this. Prayer changes my heart. Prayer brings gratitude to my heart. Because when I begin to thank God for all the things He's blessed me with, I suddenly realize that I've been whining about things that don't really matter. And I've been whining so much about the things I don't have that I can't appreciate the things that I do have. But when I pray and I thank God and this gratitude comes to my heart, I'm alert, I'm aware that God has blessed me richly, richly. There's a thanksgiving that comes in my heart. By the way, I want to say something else. This is in my notes, but it's just free. Watch this. You try this. You're not going to believe me, so you're going to have to try it. Try it. Test it, if you will. Who are you mad at right now? now don't listen. I don't ask you to raise your hand now. <laughs> don't punch the person beside you. Who are you mad at right now? Who is it that really you can't forgive and you don't really like, and they have made you mad and you're la 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 la. I don't know who it is to get them in your mind right now. Now let me tell you something. Pray for them. I'm going to tell you something. I don't understand this, but it works. I can't pray for somebody and stay mad at them. I really can't. I can't pray for somebody and stay mad at them because as I pray for them, suddenly God softens my heart to them and I quit praying because I want to be mad at them. (laughs) Come on now, Wes. I'm just being honest. No, 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 no. I don't know. I want to keep praying. It softens my heart. So he says, first of all, devote yourselves to prayer. All right, look at the next verse. Next verse is powerful. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God, now, watch this. This is so important. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Very important. So what Paul says is that we should not only talk to God, we should talk to God about people. Just pray for me. Pray for us. It's okay, can I just say this? It's okay for you to ask somebody to pray for you. I know that's hard sometimes. We get our pride built up and we we think that we can, you know, we're Mr. or Mrs. Strong, and Invincible, and I pray for other people. They don't pray for me. Beware, God will put you if you have that attitude in a place where you need them to pray for you. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, James says. It's okay to ask people. Paul says, pray for us. But now watch his prayer. He says, don't be afraid to pray specifically. Here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God will open a door for us to preach the gospel. Now remember where he is. You remember? He's in prison. In some kind of captivity. Now, I don't know if he's in a dungeon at this point. Perhaps he is. Maybe not. Maybe he's under house arrest. There's been a lot of different ideas. I don't know. But any way you look at it, he's got a guard nearby. And what he's saying is, watch this. Instead of saying, pray this guard has a heart attack and dies so I can get out of here. He says, pray for us. That God will open a door for us to share the gospel. Pray that God will open the door so that we can, watch, speak the mystery of Christ. And then he reminds us, because I'm in change, because of this mystery, because of this gospel, I'm in change so that I may make it known as I should. He says, pray, talk to God about others. It is a good thing to talk to God about people. People you love, people you don't even know. It's a good thing to talk to God about people we call it can I give you a theological term we call that intercessory prayer have you heard that, that, that terminology intercessory prayer there, there's not a lot of intercessory prayer today most of us pray today when we need something I, I'm just being honest most of us pray today when we need something hey God I got an emergency going on uh, did, did you notice my bank accounts low <laughs> right Hey, God, you know, I I got this problem because we got everything broke down or or, or, or my marriage is falling apart or my kids are going crazy or my parents. Most of the time it's an emergency and we need, hey, God, this is what we need. But prayer is not intended to only be an emergency. It's not just a hotline when we need help. No, he says pray for other people. You know why I think intercessory prayer is so hard? Because to truly pray for people, you have to empathize to some point. And that's hard. I have to hurt when they hurt. I have to have the pain that they have. And and if you pray for, you're like, well, I don't know, you must be Mr. Touchy Feely. I don't have those feelings. Hold on. You pray for them enough and you'll get it. You pray for them enough and you're going to be feeling that burden. God working this life, that life. I said on the more video, but I'm going to say it again. Not long ago, uh, some time ago now, I, did a fu- I was asked to do a funeral, and the funeral service was for an elderly lady, and it hit me. I'm, I'm there before the service. I'm just thinking about her and having some moments of memory, and I'm thinking back, and I'm reminded of this. I know, I know that lady prayed for me every day. I know she did whether I needed it or not <laughs> she was going to pray for me and when I did sit up there to do the funeral and I thought about that lady you know what thought hit me Toby thought hit me I got one less person praying for me now that's important she prayed I know she prayed for me if you can't thank anybody else to pray for pray for me I'll, I'll be gladly be the recipient But pray for people. Talk to God about people. That's so important. He says, pray so that I may make it known, the gospel known. I I, I can't stay there anymore, although I'm tempted to. Create a list of people that you pray for. Look at the next verse. Let's move on a little further. We're about to get there. In verse 12, I'm going to skip all the way down. In verse 12, he gives us an illustration of that, and then I'm going to move. He says, Epaphras, remember Epaphras? He's the guy that many believe was from Colossae who took the issue to Paul. visited with Paul and is the one that told him about the heresy. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, watch this, sends you greetings. This is, the, this is the line that arrested my thoughts. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers. So that, here's the specific, here's what he prayed for them. That you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. Do you understand the power in that? I don't know if I can really emphasize that the way I want to emphasize that. Or I don't know if I can convey to you the urgency that that placed in my spirit when I read those words. He said he's always wrestling for you in his prayers. The word is striving. Here it is. The word in the Greek, here's the Greek word. I, I don't often use them, but I think you might, it might be helpful in this case. The Greek word here is agonizomai. Agonizomai. I say that because of this. That's not like any of our English words. Agonize. I agonize. He agonizes for you in prayer. That's not just a, oh yeah, by the way, bless old Paul there. I hope he does well today. No, he's agonizing. Agonizing, striving, stretching, agonizing in prayer. Why? That you would be mature. I'm afraid I don't even pray that way sometimes enough for my family, let alone for others. I'm not trying to be up here and and, and just run myself down. I'm just trying to say this is an area that we all have to strive and work in. Praying for others, he said, "It's a good thing. Talk to God about people, people in your life that you know, and people that you don't even know." But now I've got to hurry on. Look at the next verse, and and I think we'll we'll see another important part, and we're done. Act wisely, he said, toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Now, who are the o- outsiders? Outsiders were those who were outside the church, outside of Christ. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what a horrible way to talk about people as outsiders. I agree. But he was making a point. They're outside the faith, right? That's just the truth. He said they're outside the faith. Now, I'm sure he wouldn't call them outsiders. Maybe he would. I don't know. But the point is they are outside the faith. Now, watch this. He's going to tell us in this verse and the next verse, not only should we talk to God about people, we have to be bold enough to talk to people about God. But he says before you do, there's a couple of things you need to know. First of all, you have to act wisely toward them in other words to gain an audience with people now just you know this this is nothing new for 80% of you to get an audience with people to be credible with people to talk to them about God you got to watch your walk I'm just gonna be honest I'm just telling you have you ever had somebody want to talk to you about God and then turn around and you know they live like the devil you know what I'm saying Is that us? You can't talk to people about God one breath and talk to people about people the next breath. We like to talk to people about people. In fact, look at this next verse. You get ready for conviction because this next verse will get all over you. All right? It says, let your speech, your words, that's the idea, always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. He says when you talk to people, especially outsiders, when you talk to people, talk graciously and season it with some salt. You know what I think he's talking about there? Salt is a preserver, right? But I think he's also talking about flavor. Salt adds flavor. If you don't know salt adds flavor, you just haven't been without it, right? Man, when I had my surgery, my heart surgery, I lost a lot of weight, but it wasn't because of my heart. It was because they wouldn't let me put salt on anything. I didn't want to eat. Let your speech be gracious. And flavored with salt. Obviously, Paul's writing before social media, obviously. Social media has just, it's the craziest thing. I understand that social media is all about friends and followers, and yet... We talk so bad about people. We talk to people about people and it is not gracious nor is it seasoned with salt many times. Paul says if you're going to talk to people about God then you better watch your walk and you better watch your talk. It's the only way you're going to get an audience and credibility. I really believe that. I honestly believe that people will listen to you when you talk to them about God. But you've got to watch your walk and you've got to watch your talk. and You've got to be gracious in how you answer people. I know this is hard to hear. If it's hard for you to hear, it's hard for me to say. But it's just true. Guys, let's just sweeten up our talk a little bit about people. Be gracious. Season with salt. Well, you just don't understand. I can't talk good about that person. There's what you do then. Pray for them. And when you pray for them, Your whole attitude's going to change. I'm just telling you. It's going to either change your attitude or you're going to quit praying for them. One of the two. I'm pretty sure. So here's the takeaway. And maybe this is the takeaway for the whole thing. I don't know. Maybe maybe this is for the whole series. Here's the last question I'm going to give you from Colossians. What needs to change first in your life? We've talked about the fact that we can change even our speech. We've talked about that we can change our habits. We've talked about that we can change our life, our style. We can change eternity. For you, what needs to change first? I hope you've been here for all six studies, but if you haven't, you're here for this one. And so this question must be for you Which, what needs to change first? Is it your relationship with Christ? Do you know? But you do not have a personal and growing relationship with him and you need his gracious power at work in your life? Is it your substitute? Are you substituting something for grace and truth? Or, or is it a habit? Habits? I'm reading a book. I'm just starting to read a book called Atomic Habits. I think it's going to be incredible because I know there are some habits in my life that need to change. I want to know how to change those habits. Is it a relationship that needs to change? Is it your speech or attitude? Is it your perspective or your passion? What needs to change? Chances are the most important things change last. Maybe it's because it's the hardest But watch this. Change that is lasting is change that is impacting. Change that lasts is change that impacts your life. Don't leave off the most important thing. School starts at 7.30. Baseball right after school. Work right after baseball. Don't know when I'm going to study or when I'm going to spend time with my Creator. If you're not careful, like Gage, you're going to get your life so busy doing the things that are big that the most important things will be last. And you'll not know and understand the change that Paul is talking about in this great book. I hope you'll read it again more carefully. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace, God, and thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we get distracted. We turn our hearts and our minds to things that are less important, of lesser value. We concentrate on the minors and forget the majors. So, God, thank you for using this little letter written by Paul long ago to just remind us that we can change. Change is possible because grace is available. And help us determine right now this morning what needs to change first in my life. God, speak to our hearts now in just a moment while we have some quiet just before we sing I want you to ponder that question maybe ask the Lord that very question God what needs to change first in my life what needs to change first God, I'm sure that you're going to speak to us this morning because we've asked in Jesus' name, amen.